Live from the Jacob Media Studios, it's Serving Our Nation with Dr. Paul McCullough on News Talk 1400 WOND. Be inspired, learn and understand the power of becoming a servant leader and transform your life while serving our nation. Meet those who have served our country. Learn about prosperity and overcome sickness, poverty, and despair. Serving Our Nation begins right now. Good afternoon and welcome to episode 43 of Serving Our Nation. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough, and if today is your first time tuning into the program, I want to just want to briefly share with you the heart behind Serving Our Nation. This is a program that is focused on encouraging people to become servant leaders because my goal is to encourage you and provide you hope through stories each week of people that have dedicated their lives to this idea of being a servant leader. Because what I know beyond the shadow of a doubt is that when you do that and you truly live your life just to honor God, blessings will follow as a natural byproduct of that service. Because at the end of the day, all of us are ministers of some kind because we each have special gifts that were given to us by God. And so because of that, it is our responsibility, our obligation, that when we see a need, we need to go and fill that need to the very best of our ability. And each week we see that lived out, played out by people in all different walks of life to include military, business, faith, community, and family. And last week I had the tremendous opportunity of having two people on the show that not only are servant leaders in the community and their family, but also our father and daughter, Dr. Shante Hall and her dad, Dr. Stephen Hall. And these two individuals run a nonprofit organization called Centurion Military Alliance. And their story is so compelling because not only do they serve the military with the way that they run their organization, they also serve their community and they engage in servant leadership in the workplace. And more importantly, they engage in servant leadership in their home. So if you didn't have a chance to tune in to last week's show, episode 42, I'd encourage you to get back and listen to that because it will truly warm your heart listening to their story. But for today, just a little bit about me that's relevant to today's episode. I've had an opportunity to serve as an adjunct professor at Drexel University for the past few months. And as part of that, I've had an opportunity to meet some really interesting students. And I shared with you last week that one of my former students invited me to go and speak to some of his classmates that he's in a club or an organization with. And so because of uh, the way that he really handled himself and the qualities that I saw in him uh, in class and during that meeting, I invited him and one of his colleagues, one of his fellow students, to be on the program here today. And so their names are Jomo Davis and Charles Ross. So Jomo is a trading analyst intern at Group One. He's also a real estate agent for Remax, and he's a host and expediter for the Metropolitan American Diner and Bar. Charles is a finance analyst co-op at Lockheed Martin. He's a property manager at All-in-One, and he's also been a host and expediter himself at Mosquito Grill. So when we come back from the break, I'll be joined by Jomo Davis and Charles Ross. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Dreams, I gotta go now. These are the moments when you wish you could live again, but sweet dreams, I gotta go now. You're listening to Serving Our Nation with Dr. Paul McCullough. 
a Jacob Media Production. And welcome back to Serving Our Nation. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough, and today I'm joined by Jomo Davis and Charles Ross. Jomo and Charles, thank you so much for agreeing to be on the program here today. It's an honor to have you on the show. Thank you for having us on. Thank you for having us. So listen, you guys have done a lot and are still doing a lot at Drexel. So if it's okay with you, I want to start the conversation there. And I'm really interested, why is it that you have such a heart to serve in so many different ways at Drexel? You, the both of you have a background in finance, but you don't just go to school and take classes. You're engaged in a lot of other areas. So what's the driving force behind that? So Jumbo, we'll start with you. Yeah, um, I, for me, I think it's mainly about the fact that I think once you as a person really make yourself better, I mean, it's almost like a trickle up effect really to like, you know, if you make yourself better, okay, you just made the people around you better because, you know, most people move that knowledge to people around them. And then if you make people around you better, you're making your community as a whole better. And eventually that trickles all the way up to the fact that honestly, on even though it sounds idealistic, like on some really small level, you just made the world better by one, one billionth of a percentage. And, you know, for me, I'm just kind of focused on like just making sure that like I get the most out of just challenging myself all the time. And I guess it's really just about like self-actualization and stuff like that. Um, that, that really is, you know, I think a lot of people say that, but for me, like that's really what I think about pretty much every day is just how to continue moving forward, I guess. And so I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like what I'm hearing you say is being engaged at Drexel is your way of paying it forward and encouraging others to do the same thing. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and but for me, it's, it's also through the lens of, you know, it, that's still through the lens of, okay, I, I, you know, I want competition. I want, I, I want, I want to succeed. And, you know, it's, it's not, it's not all just like, you know, it's, it's never all just roses. It, it's like, you know, I, I, I still want the things that come along with, you know, the uh, American version of success, I guess, in a way. Um, but that's not at the cost of others, right. you know? And so a hundred percent, you know, I, I, I definitely do subscribe to that belief. That's great. Charles, how about you? Why do you do what you do? Yeah, for me, I think it really, um, it stems from this almost chain like effect. So when I was, you know, a younger student, um, I had many, uh, you know, teachers and upperclassmen, RAs, you know, people around me that really helped me um, get involved, you know, helped me with issues that I had. So now I kind of almost feel a little bit of a responsibility as, as an older student, as someone who's been through kind of, you know, on campus and stuff like that for a couple of years now, I feel like there's, I have a, an opportunity to give back to younger students and to, you know, help them out with whatever issues they might have. Um, and like, as well as on top of that, you know, there's really no, there's no negative to getting out and, you know, being involved in helping people. You can help them. You can grow yourself. You can kind of, one, one of the ways I think about teaching and, you know, really being a master of anything is if you can teach it very well and at a high level, then that's true mastery of it. Yeah. So it's almost a little bit of a, a practicing grounds for that as well to better myself as well as help people. So those are the, really the two driving 
kind of things behind that. That's great. You know, there's a lot of similarity between what the two of you said. Definitely a common theme there. And, you know, I had Jomo in class and he was uh, really a lot of fun to have in class. Charles, I didn't have you, but I wonder if you guys are friends and maybe compare notes beforehand or have some discussions offline about, you know, why you two do what you do. Uh, every day. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, we have worked very, cl- not just worked, honestly, but like, yeah, we've been, we've been really good friends for, uh, what, two years now, or maybe, yeah, coming up on like three years now. Um, and yeah, so yes, pretty much comparing notes is just essentially us talking, um, every single day, pretty much. So when you say that you've been friends for two, three years, uh, was that born out of your shared relationship in SSA, the Society of Security Analysts? That is that where you two met, or did it your relationship kind of blossom and grow in there, and you were already friends? So it really, it really stemmed from we were both a part of um, what's called a business living learning community. Okay. Our freshman year, Drexel. Mm-hmm. So kind of what that is is a group of people all in the same. Um, school, so like a business school, art school, et cetera. Um, and we all lived together and we had class. So kind of through that, we became friends and, you know, kind of shared a friend group a little bit. And then we both realized that we have a lot of the same ideas and aspirations and things along those lines that really brought the friendship together. And then SSA through that, I mean, especially with the whole pandemic and we haven't really seen each other as much in Mm -hmm. person since this whole thing, but we talk constantly about that. And then it stems over into, you know, just regular friendship type conversations and things like that. And that's really where it's blossomed. I think that's great. You know, where there is strength in number. So when the two of you go out and you're doing things together, that really motivates each one of you to continue doing it because, oh, well, my friend's doing it. I can't let my friend down. That, that's a big part of continuing to serve is encouraging and motivating other people to do. It sounds like you two really are doing a good job at that. So a, a big, a big part of that is the fact that for me, he has, he has a ton of things that I wish I had. And I'm pretty sure I have certain things that he wants to learn from me. Like that's the number one thing, you know, that's we complement each other very well. Yes. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. That's great. So we talked about SSA just a little bit. Um, but for the listeners and just for a little bit of clarity, would you share what the mission and vision is of SSA and why you two wanted to get involved with it? So Charles, we'll start with you this time. Yeah. So when I think about, um, kind of the mission of SSA, it's really a two part mission. Um, I think, and I think the first and the major reason, uh, as far as why I joined originally is that we have a big emphasis on educating our members about, and giving them, uh, you know, a financial literacy that they might not get in school or from, you know, a co-op or whatever. Yeah. It's it's to really blossom the knowledge and give them real world um, experience and things along those lines in finance and business overall. Mm-hmm. And then the second part of that is, and this we've kind of taken uh, more of an uptick on this in the last couple, you know, months, maybe even a year or so. Is I like to put a heavy emphasis on how we can translate those skills into real world co-op opportunities and job opportunities after you graduate. That's great. So I really want to build, you know, recruiting networks with companies in the industry that will look to us and really think, you know, these are excellent students that 
work hard. They have a strong financial understanding and we would like to, to work with them and have them work for us. So those are the two things I think of. Jim, anything to add on that? As a continuation of what he just said, um, doing that, we're not naive about how long it takes to do those things, you know, and it, it legitimately does take not just multiple years, but it gets to the point where like, we only have four to five years of school mm-hmm. and that might not even be enough time to accomplish the level of relationships and productivity that we want. So it really is about, you know, just like seeing out this vision is like spanning multiple groups of people, multiple groups of SSA leadership. And um, there's always, there's always extra work to be done. So it's, it's really easy to be engaged all the time because there's just so many things that are going on and, you know, they take such a long time to execute on that. It's like, why this isn't done yet. So why would I ever stop? So yeah. everything you said is hundred percent on point. That's great. So before we move on to a different topic, I want to ask the two of you, why do you think that this organization is a good fit for who you are and what particular role do you play within SSA? So Jomo, you lead this time. Um, in terms of why it's a good fit, I would say it's a, it's a very good combination of experience and creativity and, you know, a level of openness um, that obviously, I mean, the correlation between experience and creativity is typically, you know, a negative one Whereas the more, the more experience you've had in an area, the less open you'll be to new novel ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, for us, we're still on the younger side. I think our oldest board member is 21 or 22. Um, but we've also, we also go to school where we have the luxury of having co-ops. Um, so people at this point have, uh, had, you know, three years of work experience, uh, and, you know, just that connection is super special. Um, and you don't really get a lot of organizations like that to where they can also execute at a high level. Um, and for me specifically, um, I just like being a part of that. That's really it. That's great. Charles. Yeah. So for me, um, the club really had a big, a big change and turnover in, you know, late 2019, early 2020 with the onset of the pandemic. We, we had a, a large change in leadership. We had kind of a change in structure and design of our meetings and things along those lines. And, Jomo and I were both kind of on the forefront of bringing that into the club. So I think the biggest reason why it fits so well with me is that because I was, you know, part of a four man team that really built the club to what it is. So I think I had, uh, you know, the ability to kind of mold it and shape it in a way and provide my ideas and shape it in a way that, you know, I liked and I thought had value and things along those lines. So it just, it kind of, the club is me almost in a way has a piece of me within it that, you know, I think kind of binds me to it at this point. And for clarity, I just want to make sure that I understand. So Jomo, you're currently serving as president of the organization and Charles, you're the president elect for the next session. I'm currently the vice president, the vice president. And he is the president elect. That part is correct. Okay. Yes. And, and when I do you also take am over? currently, I'm sorry. What? When do you take over? Um, so I think, uh, March 28th, technically when the next term starts, um, we have a turnover and our whole board turnover happens. Um, that's great. Yeah. So 
if I understand your backgrounds correctly, you two are also involved in some other organizations at Drexel. Um, you're an event coordinator for a DASB, Jomo, and then uh, Charles, you're also a liaison to SAFAC. So I'm curious, within those two organizations, like, what is it that you want to portray? When people look at you, what do you want them to see? How are you modeling leadership and serving other people in your interaction with those organizations and how you engage with other people in that school? Charles, start with you. Um, so for me, uh, I think what I really want to display to, to people is, you know, a, a leadership kind of by example. Yes. So I think that uh, a lot of a foundation of a successful life and for, you know, to be a good leader is to have kind of, it's to have a schedule and a rigid, rigidity to the way in which you go about things. That's great. So, you know, my role at, in, uh, SAFAC is kind of what we do overall is we allocate the money to different orgs on the, on campus. Mm-hmm. And, um, like what I would like to portray is the ability to do that efficiently, effectively, and to complete my role to the best that I'm able to for the organization so that all the other organizations on campus can do what they would like to do. So really just by example is, is the biggest thing. That's great. Jemo, how about you? What yeah. Are you putting out uh, the universe? So, yeah. Um, DSAP is uh, essentially, you know, I, I would say type of maybe student government organization. Um, like that would be the classification where we're really focused on um, a lot of recruitment in proxy of the school, um, just through students that are already here. So we're focused on bringing in, you know, new freshmen um, and also like just making sure their transition is smooth across their entire freshman year. Um, I'd say that's where most of our efforts are geared towards. And for me, it's really funny to hear um, Chuck talk about, you know, structure and rigidity because I think he knows by now and maybe even, you know, our, my time in your class, um, you might also know, like I, I am, I am not exactly uh, geared towards structure. Like I, you know, I, I, I like, I like the free flowingness of, mm-hmm. you know, uh, just being able to do whatever I want. Pretty yeah. Much. I caught that about you. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, but I also understand that, going too extreme in either direction is not the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And my approach in joining DSAP was about, I want to be connected to an organization that is in turn connected to Drexel as an institution. So I wanted to be in a place where like, you know, I was on, I was on the ground in terms of my involvement in SSA where I get to, you know, um, just, really again do whatever i want with our club like i agree wholeheartedly with chuck said about ssa like that's me like ssa is our personality um but then you know you take it up a notch and you're like okay if i want to get hired i need to do a um i need to get involved in government so yeah i was looking for the same thing rigidity structure that is awesome guys i am really enjoying this conversation We're going to take a quick commercial, but when we come back from the break, I'm going to continue this conversation with Jomo Davis and Charles Ross. You're 
You're listening to Serving Our Nation with Dr. Paul McCullough, a Jacob Media Production. And welcome back to Serving Our Nation. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough, and I'm joined here today by Jomo Davis and Charles Ross, students at Drexel University. So, guys, in the last segment, we talked a lot about what you do to serve Drexel, but both of you are also involved in the business world. So I want to unpack that a little bit and get your thoughts on that. So, Jomo, my understanding is that you serve as an intern at Group One Trading, and Charles, you're working presently at Lockheed Martin. Is that accurate? That's correct. Yes. So within those two roles, uh, what is it that you would say that you're really doing on the job to serve other people with the skills, knowledge, abilities, you know, all the giftings that you have? So, uh, Charles, I think we led with you last question. Joe, I'm going to start you. Well, you know, the description of my 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 role, um, I work on the crude oil desk. So Group One Trading is a proprietary trading firm. And um, essentially, we're focused on making money for our shareholders, which 75% of which are employees that are currently work here. Um, And my role is support for the two traders that are on the desk. Um, So my entire job is service and support for those people. Um, You know, I, I just think watching a, a lot of a lot of what i do at the firm and you know crude oil is not my only job but a lot of what i do and a lot of the opportunities that i've had just come from me watching what other people might need and that's it like solely my mandate each day is to come to work and figure out the holes that i can fill for that day in the lives of other people like in the careers of other people and that's all i want to do and and you know that's the success of my current job. Um, so hopefully that answers your question. No, that's great, Jim. I love that. I remember when I was a young major working in the Pentagon and I wasn't quite sure what my role was because I was kind of filling in for somebody. It was a temporary placement and I had never been in the Pentagon. And he said, the best thing that you can do to be successful in this place is to anticipate requirements. Look around, mm-hmm. see what people are doing, Think about what they're going to need next based on what their role is, what their job is, what their boss just told them to do, and then get after that and help them get that thing done. And when I started doing that, just like you're talking about, things start working out really well for me. So I love how you frame that. 100%. Completely agree. Charles, what do you say? So for me, kind of just an overview of what I do. Um, I work in the uh, rotary and mission systems uh, division line of business for the company. Mm -hmm. Um, And I am in a finance analyst role with them. And underneath the RMS um, line of business, I work specifically on the surface and Navy mission system finance team. So we oversee a couple different um, programs that we have with the Navy and, you know, different contracts we have with them. Um, but really what, what I do, and this kind of goes along with what Jomo was saying is on the team, I'm kind of like a, a glue man, if that makes sense. I'm kind of there to do what, you know, other people can't do because of time restrictions. What is just, you know, kind of in a sense below them as, you know, some people have been there, you know, 20 years plus, you mm-hmm. know, doing a simple task might be below them, but for me, it's, you know, a great learning opportunity. Mm-hmm. And kind of filling in different roles and different spots that can take some pressure off of other people and allow them to put their expertise into, you know, 
more uh, pressing and important matters is kind of the biggest role with me. Um, yeah, I hope that answers. It, it does. And Charles, what I really like about your response, uh, you have a whole lot of humility. I've met a lot of college students and when they go into a position like the one you're talking about, they said, oh, well, you know, I'm a college graduate. I'm a college senior. I don't want to be doing this kind of, you know, what you call the lower level task because I have other things that I can do and so forth. You've got a whole lot of humility and a willingness to serve other people. And you said that you're the glue man, right? The guy that keeps the place together and keeps the wheels turning. So I love that perspective and just your heart and your willingness to get in there and do what needs to be done, regardless of what level task it might be and whether it's menial or how important it might be. Because let me tell you, even the lowest, what you think is maybe the seemingly least important task, what happens if that doesn't get done, right? What's the cascade effect? If you don't do your job, if that little widget doesn't get made or whatever it is that you're working on, What's that going to do to your boss and that boss's boss? There's a cascading effect. So good on you for your perspective. I really appreciate that. Of course. Yeah. I, I try to keep it in mind every day. That's great. So, I, you know, both of you have really good outlooks on your job and how you're serving in the business world. I, I wonder how much of that came from your experience at Drexel. What was the greatest takeaway that you've had so far from all the courses that you've had at Drexel, like some nugget in one of your classes or maybe a prof said something to you or whatever it is. What, what's the greatest leadership lesson that you took away during your time as a student at Drexel so far? So Charles, start with you. Yeah. So a big one, a big, you know, t- leadership takeaway from me. And I kind of have gotten a little bit of a sense of this from working with Jomo so well, because, you know, he is, uh, he's an inherent leader. So I kind of do look to him to take some of, you know, those qualities. Um, but I think surrounding yourself with, um, people that compliment you and like compliment your weaknesses Mm -hmm. and are not afraid to disagree with you Mm -hmm. and that aren't just quote unquote, yes, men, you know, a, a leader should, see all the different perspectives and ideas about the way to go about a problem or, you know, the path forward and things like that, Mm -hmm. and then make that decision for themselves as the leader. But I don't think that if you just, you know, eliminate the other ideas from the room and you just go with what you think all the time and you don't let anybody try to, you know, put their points in, in front of you and persuade you in a certain way and give you all the information. I think that's a, you know, a a recipe for disaster often because I mean, I haven't met them yet and I don't know if they exist, but nobody has all of the answers all of the time. So, you know, looking to other people at certain times is very important as a leader. I think. I I love that answer. And I got to tell you at 45 years old, I know my strengths really well, but I also know the things that I'm not good at. And I'm blessed because my wife is my other half, everything that I'm not, she is, and she can pick me up in areas where I fall down. So love that leadership lesson you got. Jemo, what do you think? You know, uh, what Chuck said is so right because, you know, and the, the part that no one ever mentions when we talk about this is the fact that it is actually extremely uncomfortable to do something like that too. And if you don't accept that level of, you know, discomfort when you're in the middle of one of these disagreements, um, you're not going to make it as someone in a leadership role. Um, 
it, it, it's actually, it's, it's the reverse effect. It's actually really like 10 times worse. Um, if you can't respond well to that level of discomfort. So, um, that's one thing, two more things, one of them being quantitative, the other being qualitative. Um, one is patience in, again, something that everyone says completely cliche, but people don't know how to put into action. Um, 95% of young people are, well, actually not even people in general are so wrong about the time horizons on the things that they do. Um, you know, people think that, oh, by the time I take, I still control this club. And by the time I leave school, um, it's going to have a million people in it and we're going to do anything that we want on campus. And that's not how it works. Um, if you're building something that's good, it's going to take a long time and you have to accept that me and Chuck talk all the time. Um, like we're looking at things that are happening three to five years out. And that's just for one of our organizations. If we're talking about a career, um, like, no, I talk about it all the time. It's like, what do you want to do when you're 30? Not like, what do you want to do next year? Um, that's not, that's not what's important. Um, lastly, uh, the co- mathematically, the concept of a Pareto distribution is extremely important to me. That's how I make all my decisions. Um, so 10% of things, 10% of the things that you do will beget 90% of all the good things that happen to you. So that's to say, okay, you have 10 ideas. Um, nine of them are going to either be not that important, either in a positive or negative direction, super small. Maybe, you know, eight of those nine will be really bad for you. But that one idea that you hit on will erase all of that plus more. And that's the reason why, I mean, Chuck knows this about me. Like, I'll say yes to pretty much anything. Um, within the realm of, you know, within the Overton window, within the realm of things that make sense. Um, but, you know, it, eventually I, I know that we're going to find something that we can focus on and it's just going to, you know, take us wherever we, we want to go. So, and mathematically, I mean, that's how a lot of things in life operate. So, um, yeah, those three things for me. I love it. That is really great, Joma. Great response. So we've got a few minutes left, guys. And the last thing I really would like to get at from both of you. So you both have done quite a lot at Drexel and outside of Drexel in business. So looking back, what advice would you give to somebody maybe like my son, who's a high school senior, or maybe somebody that's coming into Drexel as a freshman and somebody that's just trying to navigate life and chart their course and figure out, like you said, Jomo, not what am I doing next year, but what am I going to do when I'm 30? What would you say to that young person that's, you know, maybe two, three, four years behind where you're at? Charles, start with you. Yeah. So for me, um, and this kind of goes back to my, you know, some of my previous answers and some things that Jomo has said, but um, I think one of the things that really has changed my life for me is to realize how much I don't know. Mm. So, you know, when I was uh, in high school, um, I kind of had this, you know, I had an idea that I was, you know, super smart. I knew, you know, how the world worked. I knew I had a plan. I had things in place. I was, you know, I had all these goals and, you know, ideas, but then you get out into the real world and you, you know, you almost get humbled in a way. It's not like I was, you know, you know, running my mouth and somebody like, you know, made me look dumb or anything like that and humbled me in that way. But you kind of realize that how little you actually do know at the time at that time. So I think if you can understand that you'll be more open to, 
you know, new experiences, um, hearing ideas from different people and kind of like putting more time into actually learning things about life and about what you want to do because you understand that you don't have all the answers and you don't know everything all the time. You know, understanding your ignorance, I, I think, is kind of how I would summarize it. You know, that's really great advice and very mature of you. Uh, I got that very same advice, but I was a captain before I heard that advice, and it was really game-changing for me, so I'm glad that you know that well ahead of the game. Jomo, I got about two minutes left, so your answer, sir. Got it. Uh, Chuck just gave the ideological um, version of what I think of this problem. It's like, okay, the problem is I don't know that much. Uh, you know, I know 0.01% of all the things that the world is trying to teach me. My solution to that, and I, and this is something I, this is an actionable item I wish I learned earlier, which is take the things that you do know and focus on them with 95% of your effort. It's like, you can make the decision to go and try and learn everything else. Mm -hmm. But I, I just think, especially as a young person, you know, I would rather take my time and get insanely good at the thing that I like and the thing that I think I have a chance at being elite at relative to the rest of the world. Um, and, you know, for me, I, I, I almost think it's like, okay, again, I'm someone that I don't love structure, you know, like, and that means that for me, it's like, I wanted to come in and do everything. Like I wanted to be, you know, the person that could, you can go to for anything. Um, but now I realize it's just about, me being excellent at one thing that maybe I'll be able to translate to all of those other areas once I get to the top. Um, so that's my strategy. Find one thing that you love and go all the way into it. You know, that is also really profound. I was just doing with the team that I work with uh, a personality inventory called Strength Finders. And it talks about exactly what you just said, Jomo. Everybody has innate talents or giftings, right? That That's part of how they're wired and how they grew up and so forth. And it makes a whole lot more sense to focus on the, you know, maybe the top four or five things that God has blessed you with and you're really talented at than to say to yourself, oh my gosh, I'm so bad at X, Y, Z, A, B, C. Well, how about you focus on things you're really good at? What can you do with those giftings and get out there and stop whining and go do something with what God has given you? So I love your responses. Listen, we're just about out of time, but you know, I, I do want to say to you too, for college students, a lot of people will say, ah, you know, these guys are college kids. What do they know? They're still in college. They're young. They don't know anything. I want to say as a guy that served in the army for 20 years, adjunct professor, a lot of different things I'm involved with, 45 years old, you guys have got a great head start on life. You got some really mature perspectives. You've done a lot of really good things already. You're out there serving in the business world with the right perspective. You're serving at Drexel with a very humble servant heart. So one, really appreciate you being on the show today. And two, thanks for who you are and what you do because you two are the next generation that's gonna come after me. And I feel like the world is gonna be a better place because of you two. So thanks so much for being on the program today. Paved the way. Thank you very much. Thank you for having us. It was a great time. All right. Listen, when we come back from the break, we're going to reflect on the lessons of servant leadership that we've heard from today's guest. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Magic under the gun. <laughs> 
interested in connecting with Dr. Paul McCullough or interested in being featured on the show, contact Jacob Media Partners via LinkedIn. Now, back to Serving Our Nation. And welcome back to Serving Our Nation. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough, and as we close out today's show, let's think about what we've heard from today's guest. You know, in the beginning of this program, when you heard that there's college students coming on, you might have said to yourself, College students. I, I I don't know about these guys. These guys aren't generals. They're not captains of industry. What, what are they going to tell me? But I was so touched by some of their responses because it was really, really showing a level of maturity in both them. And I would just want to go over a couple of things that they said because really it gets at how we can serve other people in just a myriad of ways. And so one of the things that Jomo said right off the bat was he wants to get involved at Drexel and serve other people because there's a trickle-up effect, right? And so if he can serve at his local school, well, that might make an impact and it might influence other people. And so maybe now other people within that school, they're going to go out and serve in the community. And then that community can blossom into the city. And then from there, the state and so forth. And he wants to be able to have a global impact. Maybe if it's just 0001 percent Jomo is going to have an impact because he's doing what he can at the local level and then Charles followed that up and he said well I feel like in the school context I have a responsibility to serve other people he see he used those words I have a responsibility to serve other people because I have certain gifts I have certain talents right I mean, how long have I been saying those same words over and over and over again on this show? And he reiterated the exact same thing. So I was, I loved to hear that. And then when they were talking about the organization that they serve in, I, I love the heart behind it. They said that what they want to do is be able to educate people, not just about finance and things of that nature, but really some life skills and then be able to take those skills in business and life and finance and all the above and help the members translate all those skills into job opportunities. So again, both of them are in leadership positions. Jomo is right now serving as the vice president, Charles, the president elect, and both of them have this heart of, it's not about them. It's not about their title. It's not about who they are or call me sir or anything like that. It's about what they can do for their members. They're serving their members by helping them to learn some skills and translate that into opportunities that they can use in the outside world. And then something else I thought was really powerful was when they were talking about, well, one of the greatest things that they do to model servant leadership to the people around them is to lead by example. So they're not afraid to get their hands dirty. They're not afraid to do what they're asking somebody else to do to make sure that it's understood, to make sure that it gets done well. They want to pitch in and make a contribution to the fight. They want to make sure that everybody's engaged, but they also want to lead by example. Such powerful words coming from people that maybe don't have a whole lot of life experience, 
but have got a whole lot of maturity behind them. And then when they talked about the greatest leadership lesson that they learned at Drexel, again, such such a level of maturity and wisdom in these college students. So they talked about surrounding yourself with complimentary people, right? And so when you look at that, so none of us have all kinds of talents and giftings or abilities. Like nobody has every kind of gifting or ability you can think of. And so there really is something to be said about serving other people when you see somebody has maybe a lack or that they're having a hard time in a certain area and you know that you're strong in that, get in the fight, help them with that. Use the gifts that God gave you to fill that need in whatever way that you can. And then they talked about using the, the this idea of the 10% of your ideas, right? Are gonna turn into 90% of your effort. And so maybe it's serving other people by listening to their ideas, by giving them feedback, by helping them discern what the one good idea out of 10 really is so they can focus their efforts on that and then put the other ones to the side. And then the last thing I thought was really compelling when they're talking about advice that they would give to a person a little bit more junior to them, this idea of understanding what you don't know, understanding what you don't know, but then coupling that with, okay, I, I know the things that I don't know, but I also know the things that I'm really strong at. And so I'm going to focus my areas of effort on building my strengths and increasing my strengths because I can use those strengths to really make the most impact. And when I take those strengths and I want to live in an impactful way, how much more difference can I make in my world? How much better can I serve other people? Absolutely tremendous. And I'm so thankful that they were on the program today. But listen, before we go, each week I talked about this idea of when you put good into the universe, good comes back to you. And so much like many other people in this new year, I did a lot of reflecting on who I am, who I want to be, and maybe what some of my life goals are. And I was talking to my students and I asked them the question the other day and I said, hey, so if money weren't an object and you know you didn't have to work to make a living, what is it that you would do with your life? How would you spend your time? How would you spend your days, right? If you did not have to go and earn a paycheck. And so it was really interesting listening to a lot of the students' responses. But in my heart, what I was thinking about was, well, what I'd really like to do, what I really feel passionate about if money were not an issue and I didn't have to work a job, is this idea of being a chaplain to people that really need help and support. And so maybe that's first responders, maybe that is police officers, there could be um, people in prison that need help. Chaplains serve just such a myriad of people in all different walks of life. And honestly, that that's really my heart. If you know I were a little bit older and I didn't have to uh, work a full-time job to be able to provide for my family. And so the real blessing is that God gave me an opportunity to maybe get a glimpse of my future. I was uh, looking at a Google hit and you know I asked my computer to tell me 
anytime that my name comes up in Google. And there was a single search hit, and it came up and it said, well, there's a funeral in Minnesota, and it's going to be officiated by Pastor Paul McCullough. And I said, well, I know that's not me. So who's Pastor Paul McCullough? And so I did a bit of research, and I come to find out that there is a gentleman named Paul McCullough, and he pronounces his name the same way, spells his name the same way, and he's also a minister in the Assemblies of God. And I had an opportunity to talk to Pastor Paul McCullough, and the real blessing is he is going to be my sole guest on the show next week. And I'm so excited to talk to him uh, at length on the program because he has got so many different things that I really want to explore with all of you. So he, he presently serves as a community pastor at a local church in Minnesota. He's known throughout his community. Thousands of people in his community know him as Pastor Paul. And because of the work that he has done, he's been noted and written about in several media outlets multiple times for his pastoral ministry and the love that he shows to other people. And again, when I think about what I would like to do when I grow up, so to speak, that's the kind of guy, that's the kind of leader that I want to be. So I'm really excited to have him on the program next week. So to be Paul McCullough, talking to Paul McCullough. Finally, as you go about your week, no matter where you're at, always ask, how can I help? Thanks for listening, and join us again next. I know the night will come. I know the night won't last. Oh, no. Your word will come to pass. My heart will see your praise again. I'll sing your praise again. Jesus.